Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, a new feature was added to Livebook. We've got a link to the pull request in the show notes. You can check that out. There's a little video that accompanies this, which Jonathan has been really good about adding to all these pull requests that really make it easy to understand what's involved with them. But what this does is it draws squiggly red lines under syntax errors in your Elixir code cells. So that's super helpful like a, as a developer UX addition. And I can imagine this being especially nice for notebooks that are intended for people learning Elixir, where they're not as familiar with the syntax. And it gives some automatic, helpful guidance visually there, just indicating where there's a problem. According to Technoblog, Elixir is the fifth most growing programming language in Brazil in 2021 on GitHub. Of course, this article is in Portuguese, but our Portuguese-speaking friends in the community have shared the news. We thought this was just a good example of regional differences and the growing popularity of Elixir in different parts of the world. There's a new updated version of the book, Programming Phoenix Live View. It's available now, one of the beta versions of it. It's the book by Sophie De Benedetto and Bruce Tate. We'll have some links in the show notes, but the update includes working with Heeks templates and Live View components and function components. So this is available at Pragprog. It's got to be, you know, a challenge writing not just like a blog post, you know, <laughs> this is a book, remember? <laughs> this is a book based on, you know, a pre 1.0, you know, big thing called Live View. So that's got to be such a challenge. So art goes out to y'all, but <laughs> it's good to see that it's still checking along. And Heeks templates and function components are big game changers. So that's good to have in the book. And following up on episode 81 about Burrito, where we talked with Quinn Wilton and Digit, Alex Kutmos shared an idea he got from the interview. He wrote an Elixir script that uses mix install to pull JSON, the library, which helps you work with JSON data, in. And he uses that to pretty print JSON data passed into the script via standard in through an Elixir shell script. So the script is first compiled into an Elixir script. So it becomes able to be treated as an executable. Then Alex makes a curl call that returns JSON from somewhere out on the web. And that JSON blob is piped into this JSON executable script, which parses the data and pretty prints the results in the terminal. So sometimes when you're working with an external service, you just kind of want to see what it is it's returning. And lots of times they'll even give you curl examples of how to work with their service. So this makes it really easy to do all of that from the command line. And Alex got to write all the parsing and color logic in his preferred language, Elixir. So Alex shared his script in a gist for people to check out. I already saw people getting excited about it and started playing with it. I have a link to that gist in the show notes and to the Twitter thread where it was being discussed. And thanks, Alex, for sharing your work and these discoveries. Hey, Elixir 1.13.2 was published. Small update here. One of the updates is that mixed release allows bypassing application mode validation in the release spec. So if you know what that means, and well, this release is for you, it fixed a crash when a for comprehension with unique was used inside another for comprehension with unique. So that can get complicated. So I'm glad that that was fixed. Uh, but lastly, maybe this is the big part of this release is that mixed format now allows plugins to also format .ex and .exs files. Speaking of formatting, 
there's a new alpha library for formatting Heeks templates. This library takes advantage of the improvements added in Elixir 113.2 to add formatting plugins. It includes Heeks files, EX files, and EXS files. It looks pretty neat. I think I'll give it a try today, probably. I've been looking for something to format these Heeks templates for a while. Yeah, I know when I get complex templates, and lots of times I'll maybe copying, pasting from some other very similar page, and I'm somehow missing an end div tag or something like that. And then you have these other benefits, you know, the, the compiling of Heeks templates. It tells me there's a problem, but I still have to find it. And being able to format is a one big step towards seeing how the shift of, of the layout changes and help me spot it faster. So I'm looking forward to something like this. It'll be super helpful. And last up, for deploying your Phoenix applications, the hosting provider Fly.io, which is where I work, recently announced the availability of free Postgres databases for free accounts. So I have a link to the blog post where it talks about this. But really, it comes down to being able to get a certain level of free storage that's persistent storage is what makes this possible. So you could actually use it for non-Postgres things as well. But if this has been a sticking point for you in deploying your Phoenix apps and wanting to start playing, Fly is an awesome place to do that. And making it so it's 100% free for your starter project really lowers that barrier. Something to try out. The thing that interests me about that is that like, if I want multiple side projects to have like a, a database, usually the way that this works is that one app is the only thing that can connect to one database, right? Or maybe I need to go find like a separate database provider and then you know, configure it. But this allows me to have like a Postgres app in Fly that multiple side projects can all connect to. So I don't I don't need like five different databases for, you know, the, the little things that they need to store. I, if I could just have one database, maybe separate it by prefix or something, and then have all my little side projects, low traffic apps like connect to that. That's great. So they, they made that easy. So that's pretty cool. And that's it for the news. Fly.io supports this podcast by providing editing services. Beyond being great for supporting us, they are a great place to host your next Elixir app. Check them out at fly.io. Today, we're being joined by our special guest, Coco. Coco, welcome to the show. Uh, hi, Mark. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Coco Xu. And it's not quite easy for someone to pronounce my last name. So you can just call me Coco. That's good. Well, thank you for coming. I'm excited because you have been working on a project that you call eVision. And eVision is like this whole idea of bringing open CV or computer vision into the world of Elixir, which... Obviously, you know, we care about Elixir here. And anytime you're involving something awesome like computer vision, it's like, wow, we, we got to talk about that. I'm looking forward to jumping into that. But before we do that, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. Like, where do you live and what kind of work are you doing? I'm a first year PhD student at uh, the University of Glasgow in the School of Computing Science. And my research area mainly covers robotics, uh, edge computing, computer vision, and artificial intelligence. Right now, I'm in Glasgow, so quite near to my school, and I want to do some field work to actually build some robots uh, using this eVision library. Nice. Robots using this eVision library. That's very cool. So maybe first you can give us an intro to what this OpenCV library is, especially for those of us who haven't used it. Then we can talk about how you're using OpenCV. 
So OpenCV, this project is suitable for an open source computer vision, and it has a long history. It has been developed and improved and polished for around 13 years. You can find tons of uh, useful functions in the OpenCV project. It can be as simple as reading an image from your desk and uh, putting some test on the image, um, detecting objects and the features in some traditional uh, approaches, all the way to inferencing neural network models. For example, you can do some uh, future detection and uh, or extraction for an image, and uh, there are a few algorithms available for this purpose. Uh, you can find those uh, detectors in the Futures 2D module of the of the Ines Open Survey project, and uh, then so perhaps you can use the, the detected futures to build some high level of applications. For example, on SNAM, simultaneous localization and mapping on top of this Open Survey um, project. If you want to do some uh, computational photography, then there are also some modules available in the OpenCV project. For instance, you can use the photo module to create high dynamic range images. Or if you, if you have a few photos capturing a scene from different perspectives, then you can use the stitching module to generate a panoramic image from maybe three or four or more photos that you capture from different angles of um, some building or some or somewhere. And uh, another uh, worth noting module is called uh, ML, so machine learning. And uh, it implements a number of commonly seen machine learning algorithms, such as uh, the k-nearest neighbors decision trees, and the support vector machines and etc. So you have this machine learning package for you to use in the OpenCV project. You can easily to classify a, a bunch of images to a class and uh, you can do that using those provided functions in the OpenCV project. So I'll make sure I'm understanding here. So like, I, I see that you have like bindings for some of these modules here. So I want to try to understand where does eVision pick up and where does OpenCV, you know, pick up? Are these modules essentially like bindings to something that exists in OpenCV? And so eVision is just providing like an Elixir interface to these things. Like how much of this is logic that's actually in eVision? For this part, the OpenCV project itself was written in C++, and you can, for any language that can load some dynamic libraries, you, you can use this OpenCV library. You just need to um, create some bridge between the your language and the dynamic library part, the C part. For example, the Python OpenCV library is done by this way. So you can create some bindings also in C or C++ code, and uh, that code will become a bridge between your maybe Python or here is the Elixir language and um, to the to the OpenCV part. So that that is like um OpenCV itself is a 
no naval library you can think it in that way and then you can create some bridge to so that you can use OpenCV in other languages like Python, like uh, Rust, like uh, Elixir. So I think this is a great future. You're mentioning there that OpenCV is a C++ library. Like there's Python versions or bridges of that that let people more easily integrate their Python applications to OpenCV, the C++ ones. The idea we can also do that with Elixir through the eVision bindings. Very cool. You mentioned a number of features that are supported, like photo recognition or ML for machine learning. And I think there's even some ability to do some video. Is that right? And there's a video module and allows you to mostly do two things. The first one is to read pictures or read images from your camera. And the second thing is to read every single frame from some video files. And uh, these two things means that, so for me, it means that uh, I can grab images from the camera on my uh, robots. Or if I want to test my code, I can just use a video file. I don't have to have a camera attached to my testing devices all the time. So that can be a beneficial because um, sometimes you just want to test something locally on your machine, maybe. Or also you want to test some different code at the same time. And then if you grab the image from the camera, then you have to have two cameras. And that is not quite convenient for testing purpose. So it sounds like the, the video adapters here, the, the video bridges here, isn't so much about Video specifically, like it's not exactly analyzing the video in whole. It's really just as a source of a lot of images, the frames of each of these videos, you know, either directly streaming from like a a interface, like a camera or streaming from a file, which can be really helpful for a lot of different scenarios there, like tests, for example, like you said. That's pretty cool. So the video is just like a source of a lot of images. And so I imagine what you can do with that is if you had an Elixir web application, you had OpenCV installed on your server and you had eVision bindings to it, you could feed in the, the webcam feed into it and it can detect or learn from the video feed and maybe identify what things are in the images at the rate that the video is being sent there. So if I hold up a hot dog, it should be able to tell me that there's a hot dog in the video with with a degree of confidence. So I might look like a hot dog sometimes, but the confidence might be low on that one. (laughs) (laughs) So for the video module, I think I can confirm that uh, it can read pictures from the cameras and also read the screen from video files. But I'm not 100% sure if there is, has some uh, video analyze functions in that module because, um, you know, this is, this is a really huge library and I, uh, I didn't explore every single corner of this library. So maybe there are some functions for analyzing the whole video, but perhaps there is some function, there are some functions to do that for you, but for me, I mainly use the to read some images from my camera or from the video files. So I'm thinking about an application for myself. So I've, I've seen this as a good like homebrew kind of application where somebody might build a birdhouse in their backyard 
and they'll put a, I don't know if this would all fit on a Raspberry Pi, but maybe something like a Raspberry Pi, have an application running on the Raspberry Pi that is just looking at the camera modules, you know, streams in the video from, you know, what it's pointing at, which is usually inside of the birdhouse. And if it detects a bird, (laughs) actually record and keep or, you know, send that video on, you know, uh, to the cloud or something like that. That way you can actually like see like what bird is in, you know, am I attracting into my birdhouse and and actually like grab the interesting parts of the video instead of like like instead of 20 hours of just an empty birdhouse, it would be the four hours of you know, the, the bird actually doing something and they're making a nest or the birds, you know, the, the, the eggs hatching or something like that. Am I understanding correctly that eVision would be like a way that I could accomplish that, you know, with, uh, with an Elixir application, maybe running on a Raspberry Pi? Does that, does that sound right? Yes, absolutely. I can, you, you can do that um, using two, basically, mostly two modules. The first one is the video module we just talked about. And then the second one, is a DNN module, the deep neural network module. So this module allows you to a neural network model, and it can accept a wide range of models from uh, flow models, from coffee model, torch models, and uh, uh, some others. And then you will first need to have a model that uh, identifies if there is uh, a bird and uh, maybe what kind of bird in the, in that image. Once you have that model and then you can uh, know that model um, by the DNN module and OpenCV can, uh, will do all the computation for you. You just need to tell OpenCV what is the input name of this, the input node, the name of the input node of your neural network and the name of the Output node of the that neural network. Then you can feed your uh, image. That, that can be a frame from the video, the camera, and then you can get the predicted result. So currently, the image library can do that in like I just, I think I just tried that literally right before this podcast, and uh, you can do that in. Answer like 100 lines of low code. And, uh, yes, you can absolutely do that in to build the birdhouse project. Oh, wow. So you're saying that I could do that whole thing. I just described it about a hundred lines of code. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. You're saying there the DNN was the deep neural network module that I'd be needing to pull in for that. And then, you know, obviously I'd need the models that represent the different types of things I'm wanting to match against, you know, if it be birds or dogs or cars, whatever like that. So that that's very cool. So when David brings up this idea of like birds and like, this is an outdoor device, that makes me think nerves. Is nerves something that you're intentionally trying to make this work on? Or is it, have you tried that? Speaking of nerves, um, so I have to talk about my research goals because I want to um, build Build this thing on my robots. So I need to, I need, I want to be able to use this thing on some embedded devices. For example, uh, Raspberry Pi, maybe Raspberry Pi 4, that's a, a relatively powerful model of Raspberry Pi. Or you can use that a Raspberry Pi 0, that's 
is a really cheap and has relatively low computation power on that device. But anyway, nerves can have the support for all those Raspberry Pi models. And then that means for me, I can deploy my project to any Raspberry Pi I want. If I want to have some, if I have some computational expensive models, then, then I can use a Raspberry Pi 4. If I just want to have some basic computation, then I can use a cheap Raspberry Pi 0 for this purpose. And I think, um, this nurse project, that one good thing about the nurse project is that it allows you to, uh, it, it creates a minimum environment, a minimum elixir environment for you to run your elixir project on some embedded devices. And uh, why is that important? Because uh, if you have a, maybe, you bend to desktop environment that, that could take maybe like three to five gigabytes. And uh, that means you have a uh, data space for, for the data you, that you really want to have that you are interested in. And the nerves can reduce that to less than 100 megabytes. And I think, well, if you have, uh, you can deploy a number of neural network models because you have at least three gigabytes less fewer than the Ubuntu uh, desktop version. So that is a good point for those embedded devices. Normally, always have a limited data uh, space on those low power and uh, embedded devices. So that kind of saves you the pressures that space for you yeah yeah that makes sense like especially when you're targeting something low power like a raspberry pi zero you mentioned before we started the show how you're in a phd program and you mentioned robotics is your phd focused on computer vision or is that just part of the larger robotics project and are you looking for people to help contribute toward this library oh yeah for my phd goals um, it's like I'd like to build a multi-robot system. And uh, so we have uh, multiple robots. And uh, one of the things I want, I want to have is to, to be able to communicate with all other robots. And uh, so this is a native uh, function provided by Erna or an Elixir that you can communicate between nodes and uh, this is a fundamental feature that provided by this language. Actually, my focus was more on the artificial intelligence part and the computer vision is, is like, so this is more like I can do a showcase using this computer vision um, project. So to demonstrate how multi-robot system can communicate with each other, how to collaboratively achieve some goal. There's maybe 10 or more robots in the system. That sounds amazing. Just the idea of individual independent Elixir-powered robots that are clustered together to create a network sounds a little creepy. <laughs> They're going to gang up on you and get you. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> the robot overlords kind of first step. But the clustering is like, yeah, that totally does make sense, especially when you want to have collaborative communication between them so they can maybe problem solve something together. That's a very interesting idea. So you think this um, problem solving, collaboratively solving some problem to and to build some neural network model that is one of my PhD goal. The computer vision part is a, this is a perfect showcase for my PhD project. When you have something visual, you can present to other people that is, it's better than you show them some data points in some table that you show people some really big table that they will say, oh, this is cool, but what does this mean? But if you have a visual result, like this conservation uh, project, then you they can understand, oh, so they are building some Maybe some 3D map together using this, your, using this image library. And they can maybe to navigate to somewhere and to try to build some logical roads from point A to point B. And they can understand this project to understand this, how they collaborate. What, what are the collaborative learning means in my PhD research? That's really cool. It is a, great showcase for how you can demonstrate a lot of these concepts. And it is a whole lot more impressive to see the visual aspects of it as opposed to like tables of data. It's very nice. I think that's a a great project. And especially, I think if someone is wanting to explore and do nerves devices in particular, like, because I I had a friend doing nerves and stuff, and his whole goal was to create a little device with a Raspberry Pi set up in the corner and his kid's window, and it would alert them when the bus was coming. So it had to like train it to recognize the big yellow thing as opposed to other cars. Fun things like that become a whole lot more approachable, a whole lot more possible when people know about the eVision library that helps Elixir connect up and have that bridge to work with the OpenCV work that's already been done, that's already available. So that's very cool. If people are wanting to get in touch with you or follow you online, where should they go to do that? There's the open source uh, repo on GitHub and uh, we have that link uh, somewhere, I think. So also you can, if they want to contact me, they can go to my Twitter. I'm 100% happy to uh, reply and or if they have any problem or if they have any future requests for this library. So we will have links to all that in the show notes where you're accessible on Twitter, the links to the GitHub where people can find this project. But unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.